You're listening to a special bonus episode of the Nib Section, live from the Melbourne Pen Show 2017. Hello, scribes and scribblers, you're in for a treat. November 26th was the day of the Melbourne Pen Show 2017, and two of our producers, Mark and Sophia, flew into Melbourne to attend the show. They bring you interviews from organisers, visitors, vendors, social media luminaries, and everyone in between. We hope you enjoy the interviews. The Melbourne Pen Show, the largest pen show in the Southern Hemisphere and the only one of its type in Australia, has been conducted every year since 1998. On the day of the 2017 Melbourne Pen Show, Max Browd, the organiser of the event, was kind enough to take a moment to chat to Sophia. Sophia also spoke to two members of the Pen Show Organising Committee, the husband and wife duo Marcus and Rebecca Lee Steer. Here are the interviews. Hello, Nib Sectioners. It's Sophia Lee, and I'm here today with the Honourable Mr. Max Brody at the Melbourne Pen Show. Hello. Hi, Ben. Thank you so much for your time today. Uh, it's been a great turnout so far. How long have you been doing the Melbourne Pen Show for? About nine months. Nine months? Yes. Previous organisers decided to basically pull back from it. And having spent the last nine months doing this, I understand why. It's uh, quite a job and uh, the community isn't that big if you compare to American pen shows. But we still have a lot of fun. We get a lot of people coming together and I've had the most wonderful committee help me do this because without them we wouldn't be anything here today at all. Why did you put your hand up this time out? I didn't. I run a little group of people that meet every second month. We call ourselves a Melbourne pen group. We meet, uh, and I'll do the advert now, on the second Monday night of every second month at the Tower Hotel in Hawthorne. Around 6.30, have a bite to eat, and then sometimes I've got a speaker arranged, sometimes we just have a chat, sometimes it's a a brag session, sometimes it's a planning session for the Melbourne Pen Show. So as a group, we decided we didn't want to lose the only pen show in the Southern Hemisphere, however small it is, and we had a meeting with the previous organiser and said, we'll put up our hands to run a pen show and then somehow or another uh, when volunteers came up as to who was going to chair it no hands went up and everybody said Max. Well at that moment at that moment I thought oh my goodness now what's going to happen. I said yes it's something I'll undertake providing I have everybody's commitment that they're going to do their work and the guys committed and they've done a hell of a lot of work. You've got no idea how much organisation, little finicky things you've got to put together. You found out just trying to make this little present how little finicky things can go wrong as well. And we've tried to make sure that every contingency was followed and I've had some amazing help from some amazing people to get it together. And it looks pretty successful so far. So was it actually hard to find the Well, a lot of these people or just about everybody are repeats. They've been around, they've been in the, in the game a long time. What we don't have the support of are the, um, the main manufacturers and so on and so forth. We should have uh, representatives of Parker, we should have representatives of uh, Mont Blanc and all the other brands that are around coming here and presenting themselves but they don't tend to. We've got retailers who've come, they've got good shows going, we've got people selling other ephemera, we've got collectors selling and for the first time we've actually got collectors from our own group 
who've hired table space to sell their own wares as well. Well, I'm one of the few that don't sell anything, so uh, yeah, I just like to come and show every so often and to explain to people what it's all about and hopefully gain some more people's interest in collecting pens. As most of us know in the community now, you love your parkers. How did that come about? When I was a kid, every uh, I, w- I went to a school that had it was on the on the boundary. It was one of the top boys' schools in Johannesburg. It was in a boundary between a poor area and a very very wealthy area. And I saw the wealthy kids come along with beautiful fountain pens, and all I wanted was one of those. And eventually, when I did get one of those, I'll admit on the QT. You didn't, I didn't give you my real name, by the way, that I actually shoplifted it. <laughs> I didn't have the money to buy one. And I kept that pen right through school, right through university, and wrote everything with it. So it became a symbol of something to aspire to? A... No, it was just something because my handwriting was so bloody <laughs> awful that I needed a decent fountain pen to write with. Oh, goodness gracious. Uh, I lost that pen, by the way, when I went, moved to America for a while. When I came back to South Africa, they were having a sellout of Parker 61s at the uh, big news vendor and news agency, which sold everything. They sort of had the monopoly on newspapers, books, stationery, the works. And they had a sellout of uh, Parker 61s, and I picked up all three for next to nothing. Parker remanufactured the nibs to my specification. I still got them today. And then one day my wife saw uh, at a flea market somebody selling a Parker 61 pen and pencil set in gold. And she said, I'm going to buy that for you. And it took me along. I ended up buying it. And that started off the collection. It's expanded through from absolutely, probably, or pretty close to the newest of all the Parkers, back to one of the originals, which is only five years after Parker started manufacturing, 1894 is my earliest one. Thank your wife for, for supporting such a habit as well. So coming back to the Melbourne Pen Show, back then it seemed like it was a lot easier to come by a fountain pen. So nowadays do you find that quite difficult to get the word out there and get more people interested in fountains again? No, I think that from what I gather, or in the original days, at first pen show I went to, uh, they brought in overseas people. I don't know what the attendances were like. I think our attendances are as good as they have been for the past 10, 15 years. But I, uh, you know, I've been in the country nearly 20 years, and I heard about the uh, pen collectors group, which is what we still continue today, and the pen show. And the first pen show was quite a big one. I've got to say, I don't know how many attendees there were, but there were. Plenty of exhibitors, and they were supported by a few of the big groups at that stage. And then it gradually became the smaller thing and to what it is today. And today it's almost the same kind of people, uh, year in, year out. Different pens, different availabilities, always people coming through the doors to find pens to collect. Why do you think there's big companies? Do you think it's because Australia is so small? No, 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 no. They've all got their branches here but you know what it costs them to put staff out for a Sunday and that's it becomes prohibitive to them so you'll find that the people exhibiting today are one-man shows and doing it for their own business uh, for the love of pens and so on and so forth but they certainly couldn't afford to be manned by external staff at the rates you got to pay uh, salaries they wouldn't be making a viable profit on the darn thing so it's as simple as that thank you so much for your time Max but guys uh, come and support our pen show you won't find 
find anything like it in the Southern Hemisphere. Uh, and uh, there's always something new, something more interesting, beautiful prizes and all kinds of attractions to come and see us. So if you missed it this year, it's already an advert for Melbourne Pen Show 2018. Hello, Nib Sectioners. It's Sophia Lee here at the Melbourne Pen Show, and I have been lucky enough to uh, ask Marcus to follow me into <laughs> a quieter area to have a bit of a chat. In the corner, yes, indeed. Uh, so, Marcus is actually one of the uh, organisers of this year's Melbourne Pen Show, and the story behind that's very interesting. Uh, so, how did it all start? How did you get involved? So, I, I, my um, involvement was really down to the Mel- uh, to Pen Addict podcast. So so listening to a, an episode of the Pen Addict uh, about 14 months ago, um, I decided I need to get a new pen. <laughs> so I ended up buying a Twisby 580. My wife saw that, said, where's her pen? <laughs> and she said, oh, then she said, I don't, I don't want a pen. But of course, that means you have to buy one, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> anyway, we both ended up with Twisbys and decided we'd look at the Melbourne Pen meetup situation, went along to the Melbourne Pen group. And this was about 12 months out from organising the show. And Max Brody, who's one of the other organisers, said, OK, I need new people for the committee. Uh, how about you two? So we're now here 12 months later, our first pen show, both of us. Bex manning the front desk. I'm wandering around trying to look useful. <laughs> and... And between us, yeah, we got we got back into fountain pens after several years. So what's a little bit different this year compared to the previous Melbourne pen shows? Well, I think what we're trying to do this year is bring broader audience into the show. So we've got Milligram here, we've got uh, Tingo Ting from My Hearty Tim Box, we've got Cyrus Pang here, and we've got others who are not vintage pen sellers. Now, vintage pens are a great part of the show, but if we want to broaden this interest in this hobby, we need people to come along who have a broader interest in pens and stationery and all things in ink and so on, all things that are pen-related, so that we can broaden the community. And we can only do that if we if we move away from solely vintage pens. And Melbourne's always had a reputation for being very strong for vintage pens, and it's still a big part of the show, and it's an important part of the show. But we need to have pens and stationery and ink, and we need to attract new people into the hobby. So what are you using today? Well, clip, <laughs> clipped into my shirt, I have Pilot 743, um, which I picked up in Itoya in uh, Tokyo last Sunday. Oh, so you so in Japan. I was in, I was in Japan <laughs> last Sunday. And I wanted an 823, but the 823s in Itoya only have the standard nibs, and so I've got a soft, medium, fine on this. So, yeah, so that was my, that was my purchase in, in, uh, in Tokyo. I also have the, the Traveller's uh, brass, little brass pen. Again, I bought that in Tokyo six months ago. Um, so, yeah, that's a great pen too, but um, I'm loving the 743. It's a great pen. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Marcus. Great job. I hope you enjoy the show. Absolutely. <laughs> And we're here with Marcus's better half, Rebecca. How are you today? I'm feeling really good. It's good to hear. So Marcus told us a little bit about the origin story. We'd love to hear your side of it all. So how did it all start? Which origin story? (laughs) How, How you got into fountain pens? So I had my first fountain pen when I was probably... 22. Um, it was right after uni. I just started my PhD and I got my first fountain pen. And when I moved from Perth to Melbourne to take on my first job, I lost it in the move. And I sort of forgot about that. And then one day Marcus comes back with his Twisby. And my first response was, where's mine? <laughs> and I didn't. And, and he said, oh, I'll get you one. And he felt really bad. He said, I'll get you one. I'll get you one. So no, don't worry about it. I probably won't use it anyway. <laughs> 
And I went off on a business trip. And when I come home, there was another one, a mini Twisby version of what he had sitting on my desk. So it's, it's not a very expensive pen for those who aren't in the know. But what that did was reinvigorate my love for fountain pens. And I like pens of a broad spectrum. So I like the modern ones. I like the cute little ones that are almost disposable. I also like some antiques. So the oldest one I have is from 1902. It's an over-under feed swan pen. Um, and I have some Twisbees as well. So everything within that range I like. So, yeah. So in terms of vintage versus modern, should they be one of those things where they're competing each other? Or do you think everyone, again, should be able to enjoy both from both ends of the spectrum? I think it's really down to the person. Because for me, I pick up a different pen depending on the writing experience that I want. So the vintage pens feel different, they write different, they each have their own attributes. But I do know some people who will only use vintage and, you know, will swear by them and say, you know, if it's vintage or nothing. Um, but then there are some who just who think that those group of people are snobs. <laughs> and, you know, that I think there's a common misperception as well that if you are into fountain pens that they have to be expensive. So most people think fountain pens oh Mont Blanc, right? Like they look at that crest and go, yep, that's a fountain pen. But then you give them, a, they're very very first El Chipo Lamy and they pick it up and go oh, I didn't realize I could write with them. And then you introduce them to colors. This has happened time and time again. You know, you introduce a 16-year-old to all these colors and their mind's just blown. And then they, they have the love for it. So I don't think it really matters how you get into it. And if you do, and you can at least decide if you like it. But to write it off is a bit of a shame because if it's thought of as a hobby for snobs, it really shouldn't be. So that's what you're hoping to achieve as well with this year's Melbourne Pen Show, getting more people into the hobby and the passion. Yeah, and we're not, we're not about experience. Exclusivity. Um, it's really to show people that, you know, chances are if you have exposure to this, you'll find that there's something in it that you like. Maybe it's not about fountain pens for you. Maybe it might be about papers or it could be about inks. So you just never know until you try it. So it's really about opening those doors and inviting people to have a try, see if they like it. They don't have to, but if they don't try, they'll never know. So would you suggest next year that people bring their family, their friends to the Melbourne Pen Show? Because there's quite a lot. Uh, you don't have to, again, be someone that's already been involved in the community. You can be someone that's just interested. Like, what would they be expecting if they came to a Melbourne Pen Show? I would say absolutely bring your kids, bring your friends, um, bring your family, bring your work colleagues. I've gone and dragged a couple of people from work here shout out to Ali and her husband Jamie I think what you find is that when you bring people across because they get exposed to it they may actually discover a love for something that they never realized they had an affinity to for some people the fountain pens are the entry to calligraphy and for others trying calligraphy is their entry into fountain pens and for some who keep using fountain pens some of our committee members included have no idea what a change or what a difference the quality of the writing paper can make to the writing experience. So I think just, yeah, bring people you know. You just never know what they'll find, what they'll pick up. What we're also finding is that little kids that come in, you know, they, they get interested because of the right colors and parents don't have to spend $60 on an expensive fountain pen. They can just pick a cheap $10 one and see what their child likes. Thank you so much for your time, Rebecca. <laughs> Next up, Sophia speaks with Sally Desario, the president of the Calligraphy Society of Victoria, and Moya Carroll, the organiser of the inaugural Calligraphy Convention, or Calicon, which was held in October of 2017. 
Ladies and gentlemen, we're lucky to be able to have a chat with Sally, the president of the Calligraphy Society of Victoria. How are you today? I'm just fine, thank you. I'm loving being here. <laughs> Fantastic. So, um, Kevin, you, you've been doing calligraphy for a while, but how did you get into it? I loved letters from my earliest days. I, I actually worked as a cartographer in the days when maps were hand-drawn, and I was so impressed by the beautiful old maps and the, the quality of the, the work that went into to them and that probably stimulated my my love of lettering but anyway that here I am still <laughs> still doing it all these years on when of course maps aren't made by hand anymore and now you're able to share that love with others with the society so what do you do to to bring people into the passion to the hobby well I'm I'm very fortunate to be one of the teachers who teaches the beginner classes because I feel that it's not that long ago since I was a beginner myself and I, I love to instill that enthusiasm of discovering the the beauty of English on paper uh, and when you you find other people sharing that uh, enthusiasm it's it's really a a bit of a thrill. And have you found that the interest in calligraphy and fountain pens in general has grown over the years? I think it's interesting it's it's gone in waves because uh, I think when computer technology arrived and everybody found that they were all able to do beautiful things on computers all by themselves that there was a, a lessening of interest in the artisan skills of handwriting and fine writing. But I think it's a bit like a lot of artisan things, that there's nothing that uh, recreates the beauty of something that's hand-drawn, handmade. Anyone can do something on a computer, whereas to actually produce something beautiful by hand uh, is, is really special feel the warmth, you, you feel the sentiment behind it. There's a real character behind handwriting, whereas if you're getting something printed, uh, again, yes, it's it's digital, it's clinical and cold. So as beautiful as it is on paper, it's just not the same at all. Absolutely, absolutely <laughs> right. There's no doubt about that. There's also, even from the pleasure of giving away or for somebody receiving something handmade, calligraphy allows a meditative uh, space. It slows everything down. That Calligraphy is a slow process. Process. It doesn't happen fast and so there, there's a headspace that you need to get into and, and like any of the, the things that bring us peace or joy or whatever, whether it's gardening or something, that, that calligraphy does, does allow that slowness and appreciation of what it is that we're doing. So if someone wanted to actually start with calligraphy, where would you suggest they start? Oh, well, please come and see us at the Calligraphy <laughs> Society of Victoria that uh, we're on the, on the web, on our website, Calligraphy Society. Um, we run a series of beginner classes and as an introduction and we have a really full program through the year of weekend workshops that uh, all the different ancillary skills that go with it and you know, more in-depth study of alphabets but if you're a beginner the six-week beginner class is a good good place to begin to come along um, we also have a fabulous international conference every year in July where we have wonderful international tutors that come to Melbourne and it's a priceless experience to to be in their classes so I would suggest that you, you look on the website and just follow what's what's on offer. And recently there was the, the CaliCon, which is the, the first show of its kind, I'm gathering? Well, one of our colleagues, Moya here, was, was behind the, the setting up of CaliCon and that was a, it was a, a wonderful introduction to people to come along and to, to try and to learn and to dip their, their toe in the water. <laughs> so uh, anything that encourages people to see something for the first time and decide whether they might be interested it's a wonderful opportunity thank you so much for your time sally thank you, thank you.
And now we have Moya from Calligraphy by Moya, a very popular Instagram page featuring beautiful artwork. So how are you? I'm very well, thank you. It's lovely to see people here. Absolutely. So have you been doing calligraphy for long? I I like to tell people that I picked up my mum's calligraphy set when I was about five and I never gave it back. Um, I've been studying it formally for uh, seven or eight years now, but I sort of had a pen in my hand my whole life. So what does calligraphy mean to you? Calligraphy, the word calligraphy is from the Greek and it basically translates to beautiful writing. But to me, it's more formal than that. It is obviously about writing that's beautiful, but there's also, there's an art and there's a tradition and there's thousands of years of study and development of letters and letter shapes which I think I could study for the rest of my life and never get sick of. So what brings you to Melbourne Pen Show? I'm here with the Calligraphy Society of Victoria. I joined when I moved to Melbourne about seven or eight years ago I joined them and thought I'm great at calligraphy I'm going to go along and show them how it's done (laughs) and I found out very quickly I was not great at calligraphy. I was an ant and these guys were giants but I went to every class I could take. They brought teachers over like Jake Weidman um, then there are amazing teachers here as well like Janine Mitchell And I basically studied with everyone that I could possibly weasel my way into a course with. And yeah, I'm here today demonstrating Copperplate as part of the Calligraphy Society of Victoria. And so you are also behind CaliCon. Tell us more about that. Um, Yeah, five younger generation of calligraphers and I saw that there is this great growing interest in pointed pens and in calligraphy and in all things beautiful. And one thing we've found over the course of my traditional calligraphy studies is that uh, it can be a little bit imposing. It can be a little bit intimidating to turn up at a classroom full of really experienced calligraphers. I know I'm still terrified every time I walk into the room. So we wanted to put together sort of a low pressure, low stress weekend where there were a lot of beginner classes on offer. We wanted to get together some amazing vendors like Calligraphy Supplies Australia and Bookbinders um, and we just wanted to give people a chance to sort of be in an environment surrounded by other people who love the same things. And we think it worked really well so we're going to do it again. Thank you so much for your time, Leah. Next up, Sophia chats with some stars of the local pen blogging world, including sisters Constance and Candice, known on Instagram respectively as Flexnib and Pensive Candy, Mr. Nicholas Gold, the Quilladilic himself, and FPA co-founder and the macchiato man, Mr. Jagan Keeley. So this is the second time that I've tried to record. Yes, take two. Uh, (laughs) I was able to have a great conversation and unfortunately I didn't press the button. Um, So let's start over again. Uh, We're here with... Oh, oh, Mark's just come in to have a (laughs) look-see. Supervise me with the recording. Um, So let's start off again. Can you ladies please tell me a little bit about yourselves? I'll get you to kind of huddle in so we can hear you both very very well so please introduce yourself my name's constance um, also known as flexnib i'm very happy that i've got the flexnib username <laughs> but i've had it for many years so how, how did you and manage that um, because back when the internet was relatively new i had to choose a username and i chose that so i've got it so you love flexnibs more than she does. Yeah, but I love the name, so I've got it. So we've got Candice here as well from Pensive Candy. I'm sure a lot of you guys also follow both uh, Instagram accounts. They're very popular. We've got lots of pictures of great chihuahuas and pens on Flexnib and beautiful, beautiful artworks by, by Candice on Pensive Candy. So uh, talking about Flexnibs, why should we be talking to you, Candice? Well, you don't have to talk to me, but I'm happy to talk to you or talk at you. (laughs) 
Um, I like flex nips because, well, line variation. That's my main thing about them that I love. I just love it when you, you know, okay, my sister's going crazy looking at the book she won. Um, yeah, they just they just make they just make lines more interesting. Otherwise, you know, they're just straight round lines. Whereas the line variation makes it kind of every page is different, and that's what I love about it. Yeah, every ink comes out differently as well. So the way that the ink actually dries and you get sheen if you get a little bit more wet and nib. Yes, absolutely. Awesome. So what sort of tools do you use when you create your artworks? Um, Any of my pens, really. I tend to use mainly modern pens. So, you know, my favorite pens at the moment are Noodler's inks because their flex nibs are really flex. And I really like um, Pelicans as well. I know they don't really have flex nibs, but I really love them. I use Pilots occasionally. My Sailors are really lovely too. I think those are the main pens. I mean, Twisbees aren't really flexy, uh, nor are Conklin's. Um, so mainly my, my main, you know, uh, go-tos are my noodles and my pelicans because the pelicans are just so beautiful to behold, you know. It's kind of like pen porn. So they may not really do the flexy thing like the noodles do, but I still love them because they look so beautiful. They feel beautiful, the experience of using them. They do glide across the page and it makes you feel so good. So you've just highlighted all the reasons why most people are into fountain pens. It's really the experience, um, not only the design of the pens, but when you're actually using them in your everyday circumstances or even when you're sitting down. Like, What kind of started off all of your little posts on on Instagram? I don't actually know. Um, I only started my account in June this year. And actually, um, what happened was a friend of mine was asking me, because she was looking to buy a pen, and she said, what should I buy? And she was, you know, doing some research, and um, she came across a stub nib, and she didn't know what it was. So she said, what's a stub nib? So I took a picture of my stub nib, and I sent it to her, and I said, this is a stub nib. Look at the nib. It's kind of got a, you know, the, the point is not a point. It's kind of got a, it's flat. And she went, oh, that's great. And so I wrote you know gave her the writing sample with it and she went oh right and and then she said you should start an account with this because you've got lots of pens which you know I should have done anyway because my sister does have an account where she goes you know long and hard talking about her pens used to she used to and so I thought yeah you know it percolated in my head for a couple of weeks and then I thought yeah I'm gonna do it so I started doing it and then you know when I started my account I was um I was doing drawings and doodles and things, but I've kind of morphed into doing more doodly type stuff because I'm not really a good artist. I don't really draw. Um, I did do art at school, but it's been a long time since I've been at school and I'm really out of practice. So I can't really draw things from life. I mean, I can if I wanted to, but it would take like two days to do something. Whereas my doodle stuff is like, you know, in a sitting or in half a day. And I find it relaxing and it's what I do after work when I'm just chilling and, you know. decompressing after a long day which my days tend to be so it's good it's great I love it and you know it just gives me time to play around with my pen and my inks and yeah you know like that's the best otherwise I would be probably watching Netflix we really don't want to waste our time with Netflix do we guys no (laughs) so Constance tell us more about your collection as well and and how it all started and lots lots tell us I, I remember seeing a photo where you just had all these pen folders full of, of pens. You know, which one started it all? I had a Parker Sonnet. It was my only pen. And in the year 2000, I think, I lost it. I very carelessly I had it in a pocket and I don't know what happened. It, it probably something like that happened. And I went to reach for my pen and all I had left was the cover. 
and you can imagine how devastating that would be. It wasn't a particularly special, it was a stainless steel sonnet. It was actually kind of a boring pen. I didn't even have it with my preferred nib size. It, I, it was a medium nib, which is not my preferred size. But back then it was actually really hard to buy pens. And so I had that pen. So anyway, when I lost it, I then started looking online for pens. And honestly, I think I went a bit berserk and I just tried lots of different pens. I don't know why I never went back and just said, oh, I've lost my sonnet. I should just go and buy another sonnet. But I started buying, you know, I have a lot of pens that I look at now and I think, oh, like, uh, for example, the vanishing point, which back then was the Namiki vanishing point. Now it's a pilot vanishing point. Back then, I remember I bought one and I decided I didn't like the nib. I'm probably a bit heretical. I don't like those pens very much. I don't like those, their nibs. Anyway, I bought it. I had a fine nib and I found it very unpleasant to write with. So I thought, huh, I might go and try because you can change those nibs very easily. So I went online and I bought a medium. I had a medium. I bought a fine and a a broad. And back then the nibs were like 20 US dollars. No, very cheap. Now to buy the actual nib unit you're talking no no it's just the demand is so high now back then they were a real kind of you know only a very few people i don't know back then seriously my inks were blue black and blue black and noodlers didn't exist and colors what colors yeah you maybe could get red there was green brown or sepia but it was really hard to get those. You just didn't get them. You, you just didn't. And now I look at everything and I'm thinking, what's happened? Like, when did the, this sort of renaissance happen for fountain pens? It's so exciting. Because back then, I was a, a, a lunatic. I knew no one. And I was aware there were pen groups and so on, but they were all in America. And it was really hard to get in touch with them. You know, you might subscribe to things and you'd get things in the post. But I couldn't be... It, it was too long. and There was just no way of doing anything like that. Also, in the in the age of Instagram, it helps because it's a very visual thing. Yeah. So people get to to see what's out there. They get to see each other's collections. They get to see the output from yeah. each pen, and that's what's helped as well to explode the whole Renaissance, as you call it. You know. Because seriously, there was no such thing. There really wasn't. Not not easily for Western Australians, anyway. You know. So. But imagine, back in I just wanted to say, can you imagine a Parker sonnet being someone's gateway drug? <laughs> it was mine. Yeah. And I only recently read bought Parker Sonnet only like in the last few months for nostalgic reasons yeah yeah Uh, but I've always used them and I've never not wanted to use a fountain pen like I remember when we started learning how to write cursive handwriting we started with a pencil and when you you know you got your pen license you, you know your writing was good enough you moved to a fountain pen and I remember in year six you were allowed to go to ballpoint pen and I kind of never wanted to so I've always used them. So Our dad kind of started us on it because he was always trying to get us... I think he did, right? He was very encouraging if we said we wanted a pen. Yeah. He was... We, we were quite, we were quite budget restrained, but our dad got, got us what we wanted within the budget. So, you know, he was also kind of like our fountain pen hero because he really liked... He liked watches. He liked watches and pens. Yes, it always comes together, It always it? comes together. <laughs> it's like left-handed, right-handed. Here's my watch, here's my pen. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. so... Yeah, I, I don't know. And everything, everything can 
Anne's just said about pens. Yeah, I, I, I get laughed at at work because I do not use a ballpoint pen ever. Yeah, ever. there was this funny thing that happened at work to me a few like months ago where one of my colleagues said, oh, have you tried these new Pilot Friction pens? You know those erasable pens, yeah. but ballpoint pens? And she said, you've got to try one. And I was like, okay. And she gave me one and I couldn't work out how to use it <laughs> because, you know, you have to click it down, but it's yeah. not at the top, but you click the... It's the actual clip itself that clicks down. I couldn't work out how to use it because I hadn't used a ballpoint pen in years (laughs) I was like this is so embarrassing I had to go into a dark corner and try and work it out anyway have you published this uh, we'll see. We'll see. Yeah, this is totally live. It's actually video recorded. I've got a camera in the corner of the hall right now. It was so bad. It was so bad. It was not one of my finest moments. But anyway, it was a ballpoint pen. So who cares? <laughs> Fantastic stories as always. Uh, thank you so much for your time, ladies. Oh, <laughs> lovely to meet you too. And we're here with the wonderful Mr. Nicholas Gold. How are you? Now you've called me wonderful. I'm fantastic. <laughs> So we're at the Melbourne Pen Show today. How long have you been doing this gig for? Melbourne Pen Show for, oh, I don't know, about five years maybe. And then what brought you into it? Well, I have a thing for fountain pens. (laughs) Uh, And when there's a fountain pen show, you go, oh, that sounds like fun. And you go along and you see what's happening, which, of course, all your listeners from Sydney will do the Sydney show next year. And, you know, it's great. It's fantastic. So what do you have on display today? All manner of stuff. So I've got uh, my OMAS celluloid collection so people can see all sorts of OMAS celluloid and what you can't see here listeners is Mark pulling these amazing faces of shock and horror and amazement and love and uh, I have examples of other pens I've got that I thought people would like to see so Delta Delta, Dolce Vita Oversize Pilot VP with Raden and all sorts of other LB the the, uh, classic pens LB5 sorts of pens that you see if you're interested in pens that you wonder what they actually look like in the flesh I was going to say but in the in the celluloid or whatever (laughs) in the acrylic so that people can play and look and enjoy and get a sense of it and become fountain pen fanatics like the rest of us. So how did you get into this fanaticism? Uh, Well, it started with ballpoint pens. Sorry for people who find that offensive. Um, And with, in fact, Lamy Safaris. I've got lots of sort of Lamy Safari ballpoints. And then I sort of ventured into a couple of Lamy Safari uh, nibs. And then I landed a job where uh, I earned more money than I anticipated. And I bought a Hemingway Mont Blanc new many years ago and then I just went oh this is a bit special and then it just skyrocketed it just got, then it was another one and another one and it became a collection and here we are and have you noticed a lot of change with our overall community oh it's grown fantastically I mean look we've got we've got two very successful um, Facebook uh, groups we've got massive groups um, all around Australia our, our Pelican hubs which started I was the first hub master in Australia uh, when we had the Melbourne one and that was like four people and now they're you know they're all around Australia people are getting into it more and more people in these pen shows that more and more people are coming they're really enjoying it it's growing and it's most of the people are really nice fountain pen people are good people <laughs> <laughs> so it's great. It's just, it has grown. We're doing more. Uh, people are getting excited. It's also not old. I'm old. But, uh, but it's, you know, it's, it's, it's a good range of ages and demographics, and it's really great. So it's, it's not just got a past. It's got a, a future. 
Well, thank you so much for your time. You're welcome. Thank you. <laughs> and we're here with Mr. Yegan Kylie. What brings you to the Melbourne Pen Show today? I'm mainly here just to see people. I want to see all the pens and all the booths, but the main reason is just to meet, meet everyone that I've met online. And that's one of the greatest things about Fountain Pens. It's bringing people together and we're able to kind of just show each other our pens and let each other try them out as well. So uh, what do you usually do at these uh, meetings? Well, we have Perth Pen Meets every month and we basically just play with each other's new pens, talk about everything from the smell of noodlers to smell of KWZ <laughs> and everything else, yeah. And how did you get into fountain pens? Well, I bought a fountain pen in 2013, Diplomat Excellence A with a gold nib, and I have no idea why I bought it. Then it took me about six months or so to get a Pipe Metro, and then I can't remember what happened in between, but eventually now I've got a few inks. A, yeah. a few <laughs> inks. <laughs> so for a lot of people that are a part of the community, we know that you are quite the collector. In terms of the different brands that you have, you know, what would be your most favourite pen ink brand? Well, that's pretty easy. It's and why sailor? Um, they, they, they have the um, wetness that I like. They have sheen, they have shading. I mean, I don't like dry inks, and I also like the collectability of the sailor inks. Main, mainly, the, I'm focusing now on like, the sailor store exclusives in Japan. And do you kind of wish that sailor had a bigger presence in Australia as well? I mean, yes, it'd make it easier, but also it'd take away from the collectability and the, how to find all the inks. I mean, that's kind of fun as well. Also, I do want to go to Japan and do it ma- manually, be my own forwarding service. And what do you think you've, you've done? so far to get more people into the community encourage them to try out fountain pens I mean when, when we started FBA it did I mean it, it really has it did help grow the Australian community I believe as not just FBA I mean from FBA everyone else started doing their own stuff at pen meets um, started happening more often I mean I know Perth had nothing going on and now we have pen meets every month with and the Pelican Hub had 36 people obviously I'm sharing my own inks on my blog as well do reviews every now and then so how do you approach those those ink reviews depends on, I try what, what I'm trying to do is compare inks as much as possible rather than review them. I mean, I do some reviews for things that are new that are coming out, but because I have so many inks, I think the benefit of my collection is showing how they how inks compare to each other rather than showing the characteristics of the individual ink, which plenty of other blogs do already. Well, thank you so much for your time, Yegan. We also caught up with some local collectors and vendors who attended the show. Bernie Sweet has an amazing vintage collection and helped many a showgoer to acquire their first vintage pen. James Finnis is a maker of custom pens, the frequent collaborator of ink maker Robert Obster, and the owner of Pensive Pens. Debbie is co-founder of the online luxury pen store Melbourne Pen Depot, a family business that has been in operation for over 55 years. Tingo is the man behind My Hardy Tingo Box, an online pen and ink store. And we're with Bernie Sweet, a well-known personality at the Melbourne Pen Show for having the best vintage pens that money can buy. So how are you today, Bernie? Look, I'm doing very well at the moment, thank you. Been here since early this morning. A lot of interest in pens here at the moment. I've been told that I should tell you a little bit about the background of the Melbourne Pen Show. It's This is our... From memory, this is about our 16th Melbourne Pen Show. It started back in the early 2000s, and it was the really the brainchild of a Mr. Peter Ford, who had come back from America where he'd been a number of pen shows, and said, why don't we have one in Australia? And at that time, there was no pen show in the Southern Hemisphere. So when we established the Melbourne Pen Show, a group of us, there was Guido Staltari, myself, Peter Ford, Peter Borges, 
Mike Allen, a pub with the one or two out, but that, that was a sort of the initial committee. We had it down on a hotel on Queen's Road in uh, Albert Park, right? At that time, we had a lot of sponsorship from pens and pen manufacturers. It was quite, quite a reasonably show, good show at that time. We had it for a number of years there. Then we moved to Richmond, where we had it on the hotel by the river. And finally, a few years ago, it moved up here to the Melbourne Town Hall. Now, at the moment, I don't think any of the original members of the committee are actually involved. It's mainly the Melbourne Pen Group. But it's still a fantastic affair. It really is. A lot of interest in pens. Surprises me a little bit, but still selling well. Thank you so much for your time. And we're here with James Finnis of Pensive Pens. How's your day going? Very good so far, thank you. So how long did it take to set up shop this morning? About an hour and a half, two hours. And what do you have available today? Uh, a range of notebooks by Rodeo, Clef, Fontaine, uh, Robert Oster Inks, Hiroshi Zuku Inks and a couple of custom pens. So tell us more about your custom pens. Um, I started turning pens when I was uh, about 14 years old, just doing little kit pens and they became sort of popular with the family and friends and I started selling them to teachers at school and that sort of thing, but uh, it's kind of got out of control recently, so it's been really nice. <laughs> and you've done a little something a little bit more challenging uh, with the serendipity. Yeah, that's right. So the serendipity sort of fills a gap between a dip pen and a, and a normal fountain pen. You can test out ink colours and write a couple of pages without having to refill it all the time and clean it out. So do you use fountain pens yourself? Absolutely. What are you using not, today? Not <laughs> Blanc 146 in rose gold and a pelican white transparent. And so if you wanted to bring someone into the hobby, what would you probably recommend? As a starter pen, um, probably a Twisby, that's where I, where I started with the cheap ones, but uh, 580 thereabouts. So you've done a few of these Melbourne pen shows before. Um, have you noticed anything different this year? First Melbourne pen show for me. Oh, sorry. Yeah, so what, what did you expect when you came in? About this from looking at the pictures, but a little less busy. It's been pretty crazy today, which is nice. Thank you so much for your time, James. And now we're with Debbie from Melbourne Pen Depot. So let's start off with how this all started. Uh, Melbourne Pen Depot was established in 1960 by my late father, Fred Arntime. In 1985, my mother and my brother and myself moved the business to Chadston and we were um, at Chadston from 85 until July last year. So since July last year, we've been an online business only. So we've given away the bricks and mortar and you can now find us at Melbourne. Just Google Melbourne Pen Depot and it'll, it'll come up. We offer free postage and it's all good fun we sell to all around Australia and it keeps us occupied and it keeps us busy. So why did you find it was easier to go online only rather than keep the the bricks and mortar? Chadston really has changed over the years and it's really now multinational people so that now when you shop overseas or you shop in Australia they're the same brand, people expect the same brand name shops everywhere. Um, We were a point of difference but I don't think big shopping centres are interested in a point of difference any longer so this way we lower our costs we can offer customers hopefully good service but without the expenses that we had at at Chadston. So you've been in the business for years and what changes have you seen overall in Australia and in Melbourne? Um, There's been lots of changes really the shops morphed a few times so when our late father established Melbourne Pen Depot it was more service so it was basically fixing he sold cigarette lighters because that was what was in in 1960 (laughs) became very uh, non-politically correct so he used to serve cigarette lighters and fix pens and then when he became ill and passed away mum didn't know how to fix a pen so she changed the business to sales then the area of the city that we be- we were in became very quiet and in 85 we moved to 
Chadston and we were the first um, suburban pen shop in Australia. And then over the years, Chadston's changed (laughs) and we've changed and now we're reinventing ourselves and looking for new customers all around the country. So how did you get involved with the Melbourne Pen Show then? We've been doing it for several years and it's always good fun and we catch up with people that we don't normally see. So it's always good to catch up with with people like that and now we've got the time because when we're, you're running a, a shop that's open seven days a week it's very hard to commit to something like this and now we have the time to organize and sort of think what the target market is and what we'll bring and it's been it's been a fun day well thank you so much for your time Okay, and now we have the pleasure of uh, speaking with Tingo from my hearty Timberbox. How are you today? Good, thanks. How are you? Very good, thank you. Okay, so we just wanted to know, first off, how did you get into fountain pens yourself? Well, I always uh, like handwriting and I always prefer fountain pen. But the reason I started using fountain pen more is because I want to get better in handwriting so that I can teach my son. Because I think the kids nowadays, they use too much of the computer, the technology. They don't write and I don't want my son to be like that. It's more just about expression. You feel like it's better to create more relationships that are a little bit closer when you're writing as opposed to on the computer. That's our... What do you call that? Mission or vision, like rekindle the warmth of life through handwriting. So was this your first Melbourne Pen Show? It is. We thought about coming last year, but we were not ready because we didn't have this much thought last year, actually. We only started the online shop early last year. Still quite new to the the whole, whole business. Yes, very new. So what are you finding at the moment? What are people really enjoying and asking for in terms of like products or like do people more gravitate towards... Uh, just your practical pen or do you find people in Australia liking things that are a little bit more special in terms of the design? I think like uh, from today, a lot of people prefer like something special at least. Like this venue, people ask about that and also especially Twisby demonstrator. So why do you think people love the Twisby demonstrators? I think the one of the reasons is you can see the beautiful ink inside the pen. Yeah, you've got quite a lot of um, products here and different inks too. So you personally, what are you using today? I got uh, this Twisby Wax 100. It's actually my personal pen. And he's got that out on display for everyone to use. And I also have the Pilot Capless. So with the Capless, personally, I love the Capless, but do you find some people don't like the design so much? Some people don't like the click on the uh, section. So if they weren't going for the Capless, do you think what would be another recommendation you would provide? They can go for the Custom Heritage 92. Very nice. Um, And also amongst the range that you've got here on display you've got some beautiful ones made of wooden barrels tell us a little bit more about these this one is made by Tani from Taiwan yeah they use some quite beautiful wood to make them uh, this one is Taiwan cypress wood and we have snake wood as well it's a snake wood and I think that one is the rose no cocobolo so in, in terms of our community, uh, do you feel like there's anything that we should be doing to get more people involved with fountain pens? Yeah, I have been thinking about that recently. Uh, one thing I would like to do is maybe speak to the schools, like primary school, and then maybe have competition or something to get them to write. Yeah, handwriting competition or something. Yeah, absolutely, because there's a lot of competitions, you know, with artwork. They, they could be applying the same sort of thing, not necessarily the most beautiful handwriting, um, but just using that as a medium to express yourself. Absolutely. Price will be found in pen, obviously. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, thank you so much for your time, Dingo. Thank you.
Last but not least, you'll hear Sophia's interview with some showgoers, including pen geeks from other states who travelled far and wide to attend the Melbourne Pen Show. We absolutely love hearing their stories, and I'm sure that you will too. And guys, I'm here with Mr. Alistair Dawes. <laughs> How are you? I'm um, very well, thank you. Oh, good to hear. Oh, one of the little floppy things just fell off the microphone. We'll pop that back on and we'll get straight into it. <laughs> so, everyone has heard us gush over your handwriting and the support that you've given our podcast from the very start. So, tell us a little bit about it yourself. How did you get into Fountain Pen? Uh, I suppose I had terrible, terrible handwriting when I was in high school and I got a calligraphy pen, uh, one of the cheap shaper ones, and... It was remedial handwriting for me. And then when I graduated uni, I got my first fountain pen as a present. And that was more years ago than I want to really admit. But I had that one same fountain pen for over 20 years. So which pen was this, sorry? It's a Waterman Preface. Yeah, it is. It's a lovely little pen. And then when I realised that they'd stopped making them and I couldn't get spare parts for it anymore, I thought I should probably buy myself another pen. (laughs) And yeah, that was a year and many, many pens ago. So what brings you to the Melbourne Pen Show today? Well, partly it's to meet other people so I don't feel quite such a weirdo that, you know, I'm the guy with all the fountain pens. (laughs) And now here are all these people who've got so many more pens than me. I feel like I'm a real newbie. We need to catch up, definitely, because a lot of people have their collections on display too. What has been your favourite so far? I think it'd have to be Max's Parker Duofolds. That's amazing. He's got Duofolds coming back from 1912, and it's just it's like a living history of that particular fountain pen. And it is one I'd love to get. I'd love a Duofold. And the stories behind the acquisitions as well, I think that's always something that's a bit of a bragging point too, like going you know internationally and finding a seller and suddenly having them come to you in a scooter and, and bring the pen out of that's how Max uh, came across one of his acquisitions. So have you ever had to do a lot of hard work to get any particular pens? No, I haven't because I don't have that many pens. I think my favourite story from Max was he showed a pen that was probably worth several grand and he got it for 10 bucks in an op shop because they didn't know what it was. So it's remarkable. Yeah, we've got a lot of people who do trawl the antique stores and the op shops to see if they can find that gem. But on top of that, there's a lot of great remarkable modern pens out there too. So for you, are you more of a vintage man or do you love the modern pens? I think I prefer the modern pens, uh, mostly because I haven't started on vintage and I think if I do, that's a real rabbit hole to to go down. So I'll, I'll stick with modern for now. But I do peruse the local op shop near work and every now and then I'll see one in there and I'll just Google it and find out what it is. But they don't know what they're worth and so normally they actually really overprice them. So I haven't bought one from there. But I'll keep looking just in case. You never know. You never know. Well, thank you so much for your time, Alistair. Thank you. And now we're here with Tom May, a regular contributor to Fountain Pens Oceana and sharing lots of his great finds. How are you today, Tom? I am very well. Thank you, Sophia. Good to hear. Well, what brings you to the Melbourne Pen Show today? Uh, what else would be bringing me here, I suppose? Pens. So what pens in particular at the moment? Um, well, I can't say I came here with anything in mind this year. Last year I sort of came with uh, wanting to get a vacuumatic and wanting to get a couple of other things. And I came here, got them in the first five minutes and then wandered around. Probably bought a little bit too much ink. This year I had no idea what I wanted. Arrived and spent easily double what I spent last pen show in the first five minutes. Oh, I know, it's so, so dangerous. Um, so tell us more. What did you uh, I got a Schaefer pen for men because I need that man size grip. <laughs> and I got a Schaefer balance with a, I believe it's a balance, with a um, vacuum fill, which I will never turn down. I'll never turn down a vacuum filler. Well, very 
very nice. So when you started with vintage pens, did you do a lot of research? How did you go about it? Uh, a little bit of research. Um, as much research as I ever do, which is a uh, pretty an undisciplined amount, not very much. I used, pretty much took it on faith that they were working. Um, and I've only had good luck. So I'm a schmuck who has good luck. That's the best I can really say about that. Yeah, that was great. <laughs> Thank you so much for your time, Tom. And we're here with Cassie Rogers, who just won a door prize. What did you win today? I won a KWZ Inc., a red one. Haven't had it before. Ooh, that's very, very good. So what brings you to the Melbourne Pen Show today? Meeting all the other fountain pen nerds. <laughs> so you mentioned that you come from South Australia. So is there quite a community there at the moment with fountain pens? I'd estimate we've got about 25 people there, and I've met about 20 of them. And so do you, you go, you have meets every month? Or? We're a bit sporadic. We're trying to get them regular just so people have the time to make sure they're free. So what do you usually do at the monthly meets? We talk about fountain pens for a few minutes and then get distracted talking about what there is to do in Adelaide. <laughs> so what's there to do in Adelaide? <laughs> quite a few things. We've got quite a decent um, wine region. Okay, so in terms of fountain pens, which pen started this all off? Would have been a Parker IM and a Parker Urban from Peters of Kensington. I was buying a gift for my sister and they happened to be the sale of the day, $7 each. Bargain. And what are you riding with today? Today would be my Franklin Christoph Model 65 Stabilis Fine Cursive Italic. Bit of a mouthful. <laughs> but a beautiful pen nonetheless. Yes, I just picked up a Franklin Christoph just then from Nicholas. Um, and the antique glass and the cursive Italic, so beautiful pens. Uh, so with fountain pens and our community, it's growing every year. Are you doing anything in particular to get more people involved as well? I'm just trying to spread the love. Back when I was teaching at the beginning of the year, I was letting students try them out every day. So um, who were you teaching? I was teaching high school students, although this year, year five to year eight. And has it been a different sort of way of introducing pens to each age group there? Did you find that it was harder with the younger ones? or They found it really weird finding someone that actually liked writing. And it was they liked seeing someone do it and learn how to write properly. And so what's been the response? Is everyone using a fountain pen now? No, not yet, because they can't be bothered waiting the six weeks to get something they can afford from overseas. So that's, yeah, you, you've definitely hit a bit of a landmine there, the availability of pens in Australia. So what would you like to see happen in the next 12 months when it comes to accessibility? I'd like to see a lot more school pens and beginner pens and maybe a few more stores. We've only got one store in Adelaide at the moment. It, lovely but $50 is a lot of money for a first pen for someone in high school. Absolutely well thank you so much for your time Cassie and we're here today with Grant as well another show go to the Melbourne Pen Show today what brings you in? I am new to pens and fountain pens so I'm from Sydney so I've taken the weekend off and come down to have a look what's around. So how did you get into it? I'm a teacher so writing is an important part of what I do as a job um, so teaching the students how to write is important so it sort of flowed from that I guess. So there's been a lot of debate about whether or not handwriting is an important part of our, our curriculum and whether or not we should keep it or, or just completely put it in the bin but um, what benefits do you find firsthand of help people when they write rather than using a typewriter or, or using a computer? Yeah, it's, it's usually a subject that a lot of people sort of talk about exams and things are going to be on the computer soon. I can't see that happening 
in the real close future. Um, but a student that's that's got good handwriting or, or has that confidence, that confidence flows over into their work as well. So if they've got the confidence to be able to write clearly, um, a lot of them tend to get a little embarrassed if their writing isn't very good and it, it stops them from, from expressing themselves properly and things like that. So if you can get that confidence with their writing, the confidence in actually their work they do comes with it. Expression is a really big thing because sometimes when you're trying to communicate, it's, it doesn't come across as well. Like when you're letting your thoughts spill on a page it's different than actually just using a computer and processing that on, on the computer yeah absolutely uh, so what are you writing today or what writing with today well I've bought a few I've just been up doing some of the calligraphy up, up on the stage that's been fantastic so that's my new toy I've got a few calligraphy pens to take home and, and play with so it'll be interesting yeah thank you so much for your time Grant thank you and I'm here with Lou. What brings you to the Melbourne Pen Show today? Uh, I'm actually new to everything related to fountain pens. I met some people in the Pelican Hub in Melbourne. They told me that Melbourne has a pen show every year, so it's a good opportunity to meet people and see what they have, look at some pens and inks. And was there anything in particular that you were looking for today? No, not not not. Of course, pens. Uh, we're looking at some notebooks. Um, yeah, that, that's about it. Yeah, yeah. Thank you so much for your time, Lou. <laughs> That's all for this episode of The Nib Section. Future episodes of this podcast can be found at thenibsection.com and wherever you listen to podcasts. Hop onto iTunes, rate us, review us, recommend us to your friends. Want to share your thoughts, suggestions, feedback? We'd love to hear from you. Email us at thenibsection at gmail.com. You can also comment at us on The Nib Section Facebook page or at The Nib Section on Twitter. The Nib Section is the official podcast of Fountain Pens Oceania. Our producers this episode were Sophia Lee, Mark Hobson and Diana Dye. Recording and editing was done by Mark Hobson, Sophia Lee and Denise Tang. Special thanks this episode goes to Max Browd, Marcus and Rebecca Lee Steer, Sally Desario, Moya Carroll, Constance, Candice, Nicholas, Yagen, and everyone who took the time to speak to us at the show. Our music was composed by Michael Pierce. Our logo was designed by Will H. Smith with artwork by Melissa Graff. Thanks for listening. <laughs>